trying to rein everybody in after the coffee break is like stepping in front of a freight train. And thank you for hitting the brakes for me. I watched The Incredibles on Friday night, if you can't tell. So, all right, we give everybody another minute or so to, to settle in. Is there something better about these chairs than these chairs? Or is it just access? And is there something better about back there than up here? Yeah, we can hide back here. Ah, OK. You can take a little power nap? All right. Hey, welcome again. It's good to see you all. It's good for me to be back. I missed everybody. My baby is having a heyday back there. I'm Chris, for our first timers, if I haven't had a chance to meet you. And even if I had, I'm still Chris. But So my wife and I are the community architects here. We sometimes go by lead pastors. And we've been doing that for, anybody know now? It's July 5th, so one year and four days. So happy anniversary. To you guys and us, and it's our anniversary. Can we say it that way? That's awkward. Yeah, I just got back from Portland. Sorry for being gone a couple times this month, but important things, like when you work five years at grad school and get a chance to walk in commencement, it's kind of a big deal to do that. So thank you for letting me do that and not having to feel guilty about it. And the other thing, so I, Portland was a trip with some of my kind of spiritual fathers. You know how you have people that are just a, a tremendous source of life and inspiration to you? And when they're all around the world, it's kind of hard. And so when you get a chance to just drive 13 hours up and get some time with them, you try to do that. So me and Joseph back there, who's nodding his head like this, um, and Greg, where's Greg at? And Mark Tatham, the four of us, took a little road trip up to Portland and heard from a guy named Paul Young, who wrote The Shack. Some of you have heard of that book. And a few other guys, uh, a guy named John McMurray. Any Donald Miller? Uh, anybody read Donald Miller in here? Yeah, so Donald Miller wrote a book called To Own a Dragon, about lessons in fatherhood and fatherlessness. Anybody familiar with that one? He wrote Blue Like Jazz, but he also wrote this book about fatherhood about his time with a man that he lived with for, I think, like five years or something. That man is John McMurray. And John has become a friend of mine, and John is the host of this conference we were just at. So just some fun connections there. And could I give you one of my favorite takeaways real quick before we move into what I wanted to share? This was a, a Paul quote, and I was thinking about this in light of some things that God's been doing in our family. And it was pretty simple, but it made me think. He said, the opposite of more is enough. I had to think about that one for a little bit. I used to think the opposite of more was less. But when it comes to contentment and gratitude, the opposite of more is enough. And that was a very timely word for me and my wife because we... This is part of my message now, if you're wondering. Kind of an update on the Fela family. We just put an offer in on a house with, what are those things called that are outside your house that have a fence around them that your kids play in? A yard, yes, yeah. 
That's what they're called. This was a house with a yard and with three bedrooms, RV parking. My in-laws just sold their house in Colorado and are going to be living out of an RV for a while, so it had RV parking. And we thought, this could be a good setup. So we talked to my parents, and in their generosity, they decided, well, hey, we'll maybe make an investment out there on the Central Coast and do something for you guys as well. So we put an offer in and came out second. And that was not easy to take. So there's five, wait, how many days are we at, Serafela? How many more days till we know? But who's counting, right? Three more days. For, and this, this has been our prayer for the people that got, you know, that, that got their bid accepted. Our prayer has been that their finances would shrivel up. No, I'm totally kidding, I'm totally kidding. Um, no, our prayer has been that they either get that promotion in Georgia or something that they've been wanting or um, that they maybe they've been waiting to, to propose and get married and then they want to move somewhere else. We've been praying just blessings on them that would remove them from our house. That's what we've been praying. So I'm not asking you to join in any of those prayers, but we'll know in a few days. But it was kind of tough, especially on the heels of seeing God start this process of an office, and we thought, hey, let's start moving towards this. We, we've been looking for a space outside of this space to have something during the week so that we could have worship times and more, you know, small group meetings, Bible studies, things like that, so I could have a place where I don't have... I have to be very careful I word this. <laughs> where I don't have the most beautiful, amazing kind of distraction. Yes, my office is in a laundry room. So that's not sustainable. So we've been looking for an office, and we, we had this office space that we were looking at, and we thought, wow, this will totally work. You know, you have an option like that. You're like, well, okay, this is the option. So you get excited about it because it's the option. And we didn't really, we started going for it, but we felt this sense of uh, leisure about it, not to hurry and not to force the issue. You know how sometimes there's things you just want to move on quick because you're like, they're, they're, God's in this. And we weren't really sure. We just felt some moves kind of slowly. There were actually so many hiccups in the process that it made us pull back and say, okay, what's going on here? And the morning before I was about to send the email and say, let's sign the lease, we went and basically Sarah had sent me a picture from another place. And some of you know this story I shared on Father's Day, but for those of you that weren't here, we basically heard about another space on Main Street that's perfect for what we're looking at. Bigger, just barely a little bit more each month as far as rent. And it's everything we would be looking for. If we would have moved forward with the other one, obviously, this would not have happened. But at the same time, if the other one wouldn't have got the ball rolling, we wouldn't have been positioned to step out for this one when it arose. So can you see how in the background, or what we see as the background, God's just working and weaving, and I get an email, all these things are happening, but we're sensitive to the Spirit the whole time saying, okay, what are you doing? What's going on? And what I wanted to talk about this morning is provision and prayer and how we relate to God when there's something we want and when we don't get our way. And how does God respond? How does provision work with a God that is such a good father but in a world that's so complex? Anybody ever had an experience where you had something you thought was going to be the best for you 
and it totally fell through. And then you sat and languished in disappointment for years and years. For some of you, maybe that's happened. How many of you had a situation where you know that something is the right thing and the next thing you know it drops out and then something more beautiful and compelling and wonderful pops up? Who's experienced that even recently? Yeah. Anybody have a, want to share quickly? Tyler, yeah, tell us in a couple sentences, yeah. Will you project, either, you don't, yeah, will you either stand or project really loud? Okay. How big? So somebody's looking out for you? Yeah, love it. Anyone else had a similar experience over the last little while? I'll take that as a, you're not really planning on sharing it now. We're gonna look at a passage in a few minutes here, but I wanted to tell you a story about a place that I I, I get sometimes invited to go speak in Belize. Anybody been to Belize? There are worse gigs on the planet. But Belize is not this Edenic, is that a word? Completely Eden-like experience. Whenever I travel somewhere, I, okay, I travel a lot, as you know, and I'm, I'm pulling back on that, but... At the beginning, when I would travel, whenever I go to a new place, I try to find things to give to my boys, and sometimes my wife, but she doesn't really care about gifts. She just wants me home. My gift to my wife is, hey, baby, I'll take the boys out of the house, and that's my gift to her when I get home. But to my boys, I like to find something from wherever I go. So one afternoon in Belize, we, we stay at this resort. I go down there to teach and train this group of mission, like student missionaries. So we go down there, and this place, they've rented out a whole resort area. So if you can imagine, there's these little cabana-type things. There's this big eating area. They call it the, um, I'm spacing the word right now because I'm 33 now, and my brain doesn't work the same. But um, it's this big outdoor area, and literally you could take your food, if you didn't like it, or like throw a rock or something, and hit the ocean. Like, you eat here, and the ocean's like where everybody's sitting here. And it's this crystal clear water. You can go snorkeling and everything. It's this beautiful, beautiful setting. And I, I walk into my cabin one afternoon, and I go into the bathroom, and I look in the sink, and there's this little creature in my sink. It's about that long, and he has little crab-like claws, and he has this hook-shaped tail. And I thought, that's it. That's what I'm going to get my boys from Belize. So I took a jar and a lid, and I, boop, and I put the lid on it, and I poked some holes in the top of the lid. And a couple days later, I'm, I'm making my I'm four flights to get home, and 
But, you know, so sometimes you give a gift and you just want to put it out there, right? And you want people to see it. I like to make things a surprise. I don't like people to see things coming. So I thought, well, you know what would be awesome is I had two options. I could either hide this. I, I thought it would be good to give for Josh. So I took it and I opened the lid of the jar and I snuck it under his pillow. No, I didn't really do that. You know what I did? I waited until dinner time and I put it next to his plate. No, I didn't do that either. Of course I'm making all this up. Why would I bring my son a scorpion from Belize? <laughs> exactly. I actually tried and customs wouldn't let it through. No, that's not true either. It's all lies this morning, all lies. No, of course I would not bring my son a scorpion as a souvenir from Belize. Of course I wouldn't do that. But Jesus, Jesus gets this. And while we're talking about provision, Brie, will you put that passage up? This passage is super interesting to me. This is in the context of the disciples asking Jesus a question. They say, how do they ask him? They say, Lord, teach us how to pray. So he says, well, when you pray, pray like this. And he teaches them this thing they call the Lord's Prayer which we all know, and so we're not going to go into it now. And then he tells this really interesting story that I don't think many of us get about a man coming in the middle of the night asking for bread for a visitor, and the guy saying, well, I'm not getting out of bed because me and my kids are in bed, and there's all these different things. You know that story that I'm talking about? It's, it's right in there. You can look at it later. And then Jesus says, anyone who, how does he say it, asks will receive, anyone who seeks knocks. And he goes into this little poem and then he says this, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? All right. Anybody else think those are really random examples of what fathers shouldn't do or don't do? Would that ever cross your mind, dads? Now, the, the word serpent can also be translated eel. That would make more sense, right? Your dad's out fishing. You know, you're the dad, you're out fishing, and you catch an eel instead of a fish, and you wouldn't just, you know, grill up the eel. First of all, for the Jews, it was unclean. Second of all, some of them could be poisonous. So I was telling the boys last night in the car about this passage, and they were like, that's just weird. I mean, that's just a lot of death. Why would, you, why would you give your kids something that's going to kill them, a serpent or a scorpion? But then he goes, well, I guess either way, something's got to die because you've got to kill the fish. Or, uh... But anyways, that was Josh's commentary on it. But scorpion and a serpent, why, why would Jesus bring that stuff up? I wonder if there's some kind of connection. Remember how Matthew talks about this? Matthew says if... Your son asks for bread, who would give him a stone instead? You remember that version of it? Anybody else, when you hear that, does that make your mind go back to the temptation? What did Satan, the accuser, the tempter, tempt Jesus with in the wilderness? Jesus was hungry. He'd been fasting 40 days. And he said, pray that these stones will turn to bread. So there's some kind of connection there, and it could be as simple as the stones look like a loaf of bread. And who are our gluten-free friends? Raise your hand if you do gluten-free. Okay. 
So for gluten-free people, you really get the connection between stone and bread, don't you? If you haven't tried gluten-free bread, and you want to see how Jesus makes the connection here, yeah, take a bite of gluten-free bread. Just, uh, yeah, watch your teeth, <laughs> right? But anyways, Jesus makes these random connections. And then he says, if you then who are evil, which Jesus is saying that to his audience, I'm not saying that to you guys. Isn't that a great, like, hey, you guys are so evil. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father Isn't this an interesting turn? Rob, we had a conversation a couple weeks ago. And I'm indebted to you for bringing out this insight. He says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give, not, a, not bread, not fish, not an egg, Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I have a few thoughts on that, but I wanted to ask you all. Last week, who was here last week when Mike was teaching? Let me see your hands. So, last week, part of the purpose of the ministry, the message was the ways the Holy Spirit moves and works in our lives, right? Is there anybody that would mind sharing? Is anybody? Is there anybody that experienced something cool? Some form of love encounter or affirmation with the Holy Spirit last week in the ministry time that Mike facilitated? Yeah, Chris. We'll have to keep it brief for the sake of time, but yeah, tell us what. Isn't it cool when you actually experience? The reality that God is real, God is close, and God cares. That'll change your life. There's so much I want to say about this, but I want to... Anybody else? Thank you, Chris. Anybody else have, just have a cool touch or tenderness moment or, or connection with the Holy Spirit? Yeah, Pamela. One of the things that is an aim of our church, one of the reasons we come together is so that we can kind of pull back on our agendas and invite an expression of the Holy Spirit that reminds us that God is real, God is with us, and God is for us. That's why sometimes our messages are shorter or even interactive or we kind of slow down because really we don't come here just for coffee or not snacks or to hear a message, but we come here because we want to know that God is close A couple things I wanted to point out from this passage quickly, and then I want to just give us a few minutes to listen and, and actually embody the statement of Jesus and not just talk about it. One thing that this speaks to me, look at the, this line right here, how much more? Because obviously dads and moms as well, maybe, I don't know, maybe Jesus is implying that moms give scorpions. No, I don't know what Jesus is implying, but... If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give to those who ask? Did any of you grow up 
or maybe right now still, you have the sense that when you pray, it's kind of like you have to try to get God's attention. Do you find that in maybe the way you pray or in your, your attitude towards prayer? is kind of like, hey God, uh, I'd really like you to notice this situation. Anybody ever feel that? I, I think sometimes our language in prayer betrays that. And you ever hear people say things like, God, we just lift up the situation to you. Now, I'm not trying to pick on our language, but what is that kind of saying? Well, God, it's not in your hands. And it's in my hands, and I'm going to give it over to you. Now, I know that we don't mean that literally. But I know for me, for years, prayer was this thing that I felt like I had to try to convince God, kind of plead my case before God. Any of you feel like that? But what Jesus is saying is, look it. God is already listening. God is already noticing. God is actually already working. It's not that we need to plead our case before God. I don't think prayer is about getting God to do what we want as much as positioning ourselves to recognize the answer when it comes. Does that make sense? I don't think prayer is as much us trying to get God to do something as much as it is positioning ourselves to recognize the answer when it comes. And to extend that, to also become the answer when appropriate. I think the office is a good example of that, our house that we're looking at. What if this house doesn't go through? Did God let us down? How do you process something like that in light of a loving father? Is something better going to pop up? What if it's neither? Wait, how would that work? God didn't let us down necessarily. But God is already moving. God is already orchestrating. God is already on the prowl. And as we listen to the Holy Spirit, we become more in tune with what God is up to so that the results that come more align with our expectations and desires. There was a guy named James Dunn, and I'm trying to remember how he worded it exactly, but he basically said, God doesn't, what Luke is saying, what Jesus is saying is God doesn't promise that we'll get what we want, but that what we get will be good. Isn't that a helpful reminder? What if we would have come to this first office space and been like, God, this is what we want. We need an office. We're going to beg for it. We're going to plead for it. And God's like, okay, you can have it. And then we sign the lease and the next day we drive by this other one. Now either you say, okay, God, it must be your will, or you're like, ooh, I shouldn't have forced the issue. It's the difference of not my will but yours be done versus not your will but mine be done. Because God doesn't say that he'll give us everything we ask for, but he says, what I do give you will be good. How many of you, does anybody not really like that? Sometimes? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Torah, you're going to say something? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A couple more thoughts, and then I want to share kind of the final thing that, that hit me about this. Maybe just one more thought. 
Yeah, I'm going to skip all that, and I'm just going to share the last thing that I think struck me. What do you think is the connection? Why does Jesus take the conversation from daily sustenance, fish, bread, and eggs, to a conversation about the Holy Spirit? Does that seem like an ADD moment? Why would the conversation go there? Laura, what do you think? Nice and loud. Can you guys hear her in the back? Okay. Preach it. Let me ask you guys something. How many of you are aware of when you're hungry and you need to eat? What do you do about it in that moment? You figure out if you have the budget to go to Taco Temple or Thai Bounty or whatever. Or you eat, right? How often do you need to eat? I eat like six times a day. What's that, Rob? <laughs> Let's stick with need to. I'm with Laura. I think that what Jesus is saying is, look, if we're going to have a conversation about fundamental needs, the conversation isn't about providing food. It's about our more fundamental source of life and need and sustenance. Now, that makes sense to my head, but when I look at how I live... I do not ask the Holy Spirit to fill me as often as I put a bite of food in my mouth. Now here's a question. What would my life look like if I did? What would your life look like if just at least as often as you ate, you took a moment to pause and say, Holy Spirit, Will you fill me afresh in this moment? Anybody even get excited at the possibility of what that might look like? Now this raises the question, well, is Jesus saying that every moment we need to be filled new with the Holy Spirit? We're not having that conversation right now. The point I'm trying to make is not whether or not we have the Holy Spirit in some capacity, but I do know that in Ephesians 5, Paul says, do not be drunk with wine. Instead, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Present, continuous, constant, never stopping, not stopping asking, but also passive since. In other words, this is not a one-time thing. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. That's a constant thing. That's like stand under the waterfall. If you want your life to be animated by this goodness, this joy, this gentleness, this self-control, stand under the waterfall constantly. There was another point I was going to make with that that I got really excited about. Ah, here was the other point. Okay. When we think of being filled with the Holy Spirit... Can we, just, can we just be really honest for a minute? Nobody's going to judge you. Well, that person might judge you, but we'll talk to them about it later. But I'm not going to say who that person is. No, nobody's going to judge you. But just being honest, when you think about being filled with the Holy Spirit, how many of you kind of find a wall coming up because you've seen just weird things happen? Raise your hands. 
When people talk about the Holy Spirit, you're kind of like, yeah, maybe that's, or, so we associate it sometimes with kooky, weird, crazy things, or sometimes we just think, oh, well, that's for people just in a ministry context, in, the, in an expression of spiritual gifts, right? We think, well, being filled with the Spirit is if you're going to prophesy or give a word of knowledge or pray for healing, you need to be filled with the Spirit. Anybody see it that way? Kind of like, well, being filled with the Spirit is something you ask for if you're going to go do all those, those supernatural ministry things. Anybody? Nobody? How many of you, when you hear that, you're like, there's a Holy Spirit? That was me growing up. I grew up in a church that I'm not going to tell you what the denomination was, but I actually grew up in two, you want to hear my, my walk with God in a nutshell, from zero to 18, in, in two sentences? Living with my mom, Presbyterian, Lutheran, the expressions of which some people would say God couldn't get in with a crowbar type church. Frozen chosen is other language I've heard used about it, and I'm not trying to say that that's what I think it is, but that's kind of the expression or the thing it gets labeled. It's like, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. So that was living with my mom, and then every other weekend, this is still the first sentence, um, and then every other weekend, with my dad, my dad wasn't necessarily a believer, but he had a crush on this girl that worked at a bank that went to this really hyper-charismatic Pentecostal church. So I'm coming out of a frozen, chosen church, and then my dad's taking me to, to Chandelier Swinging Church. And so literally, they would, they would be screaming in tongues, running laps around the room and falling around on the floor and casting demons out of each other and stuff. And I'm like... Uh, I wish there was a place that embraced what we could call the radical middle. Hey, that's the vineyard, by the way. Um, but I was, I was freaked out. On this side, I'm like, boring. And on this side, I'm like, freaky, right? <laughs> and so what do you do when that happens? You say, uh, let's just be binatarian. <laughs> let's, let's just talk about the Father, and let's talk about Jesus. But let's leave the ghost out of the equation. Who can relate to one of those experiences? Yeah. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it gets either irrelevant or creepy. So is there a way in between that? You know what's something really cool for me? Ephesians 5, the passage that says, do not be drunk with wine, instead be being filled with the Spirit. You know what the rest of that chapter is about in the context in which we are to be filled with the Spirit? has nothing to do with ministry and spiritual gifts and prophetic and healing or chandeliers or anything like that. You know what it has to do with? Relationships. Husbands and wives, children and parents, masters and slaves, which I don't think is relevant to this context, but it has everything to do with being filled with the Spirit for your day-to-day -day relationships. So let me ask you this. What if when our children came to us and said, I'm hungry, we said, good, let's eat. But first, let's pray for the Spirit to fill us up afresh in our communication, in our activities together, in our time as a family. Holy Spirit, would you animate our interactions as a family? Would that change anything for anyone in this room? 
I want us to take some time and think more about that, but I want to share one last thought and then hear from you and we'll, we'll just pray this. But last thought, going back to what I said earlier, the office is a great example. Sometimes what we think is bread or fish or an egg in our prayers, God says that's actually stone or an eel or a scorpion. Let me show you what is truly good for you because you don't really know yet. Isn't that reassuring? So I'm going to open it up uh, a few minutes and then we're going to just pray this and say, Father, would you show us what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit in a not creepy, not boring way? By the way, the Spirit, if you want to know one of the ways you can know it's the Holy Spirit, is it always feels like love because the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything that isn't loving? And it's always personal. I was having a conversation with a guy last night who he's talking about prayer and he kept saying over and over like he was trying to convince me, you know, we're all connected to the same source and, and this energy and you hear a lot of the conversations like that these days, right? It's very like force, energy field, source, whatever it is, and people think that they're talking about God. But force from Star Wars and Holy Spirit are not synonymous because the Holy Spirit is a person to be welcomed, embraced, invited, and animated by. And we need to remember that when we're inviting the Holy Spirit, that we're inviting a person to express themselves through our lives. And it's not a creepy person. It's a loving, tender, compassionate, sensitive person. Who has something that they want to share? Either a thought that this sparks in you, uh, something that I said wrong you need to correct for the sake of the brethren and sistren, um, or just something that, that God's been speaking to you that, that enhances the conversation we're having right now. Who has something to share? Yeah, Tora. Thank you. You hit on something huge because when we get into conversations like this, that is a question, right? Well, what does this look like to be being filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, if it was a force we were dealing with, it would be cookie cutter and be the same for everybody. But it's not. It's a person, and so it's going to look different for each one of us. That's why I'm not going to talk much about what this looks like from the front. You know why? It's because this is something that as we experience it and open ourselves up to it, we will encounter. What we need is an encounter with the Holy Spirit day by day, not just more information. Would you agree? So that's a huge thing that you hit on. It will be as intricate and unique and individualized as we are unique as humans. Yeah. Rob, and then Pamela, and then important point. So I was going to say, yeah, the Holy Spirit will not contradict the very truth the Holy Spirit inspired in the first place, right? So, yeah, very important to keep in mind. Pamela, last thought, and then we're going to do something quick. In the back, can you hear her? Uh, absolutely. I just sense from what I heard about last week and then over the last few months and different things, it seems like the Holy Spirit, and I, and I ask you because I only have one vantage point. A point of view is just a view from a point, right? As one of my friends said. So 
I only have a limited perspective, but what I sense and what I see is that the Holy Spirit is inviting us as a community to kind of experience what it looks like to let the Holy Spirit be part of the conversation and not be irrelevant or creepy, to put it in really technical theological terms. But do you, does anybody else resonate with that? That there's this sense, this summoning, this invitation from the Holy Spirit to kind of be allowed in to move and touch us and minister to us? That's what I'm sensing, and that's what I want us to participate in. So this is what we'll do. I want us to take just two minutes, because it doesn't take long, but there's just a simple prayer that was, Jesus basically said, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So if you're willing, would you just take a moment right now where you're sitting? And closing your eyes helps because it helps us to focus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no, we're not going to do anything like that. But, um, will you just close your eyes for a minute and just, you can even whisper it, you can just say it in your heart, but this is what I would encourage you to either say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? Or if you're not there yet, say, God, would you help me know it's okay to invite the Holy Spirit? Jesus, you told us to ask the Father for the Holy Spirit. You are a God that doesn't operate as just one or just two, but you're a family of three, yet you are one in relationship. And Holy Spirit, we want to invite you to the party because actually no party has ever existed that's been good that you haven't been a part of. So as my brothers and sisters are sitting here, Holy Spirit, help us to just ask and open ourselves to you. I'm going to go out on a limb and say and ask if anybody, is anybody feeling like the Holy Spirit is meeting you in this in a way that you can actually sense right now? And you wouldn't mind indicating that for us. Anybody? Anybody?